right in. I'm going to pray real quick. I'm going to dive right in because I've got a lot to cover. We have a lot to do tonight. So, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for each beautiful life that has joined us. Adult, uh, teenager, doesn't matter. Father, I thank you for every person in this building, Lord. And I just pray that not one person would leave unchanged. Father, I pray that you would open blind eyes, that you would open deaf ears. And, and spiritually, where we are missing some things, Father, I just pray that you would reveal that to us. And uh, I just thank you that tonight is all about you and not about us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the title of my sermon tonight is Wilderness Sins. Wilderness Sins. Um, people might debate me on this, but I think the word sins is the most offensive four-letter S word in the English language. Okay, uh, there's another one y'all know as well, I'm sure. Uh, but the word sin is offensive. It hurts people's feelings. It's so offensive that a lot of people don't talk about it. They don't use the word sin. They say struggles, mistakes. Oh, that's my past. Um, strongholds. Those things are, are true. But it boils down to sin. OK, and a lot of churches, don't. they've taken that out of their vocabulary because they don't want to hurt feelings. They don't want to offend. I'll be honest with you. I don't care about that. If I have to offend you to speak the truth, that's what I'm going to do to you tonight, okay? Uh, sin, the reason I take it so seriously is because sin is what's destroying our world. Sin is what's destroying this nation. Sin is what is destroying our youth. And the youth is what my life is all about, okay? So when I see something that is destroying so many young lives, I'm going to call it what it is, and it's sin, okay? I said it was wilderness sins. Now, uh, the story I'm going to tell tonight, there were... Some of God's people that really did struggle in a wilderness. They walked around in a desert for 40 years because um, they couldn't get themselves together. Uh, but tonight, the wilderness I'm talking about is a spiritual wilderness. It's even though we're saved, like if Jesus came back tonight, we'd be going with him. If we died tonight, we'd be going to heaven. It's not a matter of heaven and hell. It's a matter of even though we're saved, we've still got some stuff that needs to be dealt with. Amen. Does anybody in here have some stuff that needs to be dealt with tonight? Um, does anybody in here need some freedom, need some healing, need some restoration? Does anybody need some forgiveness? Does anybody need to give some for forgi- some forgiveness tonight? Um, the whole thing is, I pray and hope that everyone in here came with a spirit of expectancy. To what degree you're expecting God to move is exactly what you're going to get. If you came in with a big spirit of expectancy, then you're in the right place because he's going to do some ridiculous things in your life tonight. If you came in with little to no expectancy, that's what you're going to get. You mark, mark my words. Whatever you're expecting from God, you're going to get. He's in this house. His Holy Spirit is in this place. And he's ready to mess us up so that we can mess other people up for his glory. Amen. Um, so you guys are going to hear me use three terms. The Israelites, Jews, or Hebrews. Same thing. So if you hear me, if, if you guys you know aren't aware of that, that's the same group of people. Okay. So we're going to be talking about the Israelites tonight. Um, back then, we're going to start our story 4,000 years ago, 3,500 to 4,000 years ago. Back then, there weren't Methodist church, Baptist church. There wasn't a Pentecostal, an AG, none of that stuff. There were two kinds of people in the world. There were godly people and there were ungodly people. There were Israelites and there were pagans, period. Okay, that's it. There were only two kinds of people. Now, the Israelites were God's chosen people. They were the ones that he looked down from heaven and said, I want them. I choose them. I know they're messed up, but I want them. Just like tonight, he's looking down from heaven and pointing at every single person in this building and saying, you know what? I want you. I choose her. Nicholas, I want you for my glory. He is reaching down from heaven tonight and he's pointing at every single person in this room and saying, I want you. I choose you. Seven and a half billion people on the planet. And you know what? I pick you. 
The Israelites had been set apart by God himself. But for 430 years, over four centuries, they were enslaved by the brutal pharaohs of Egypt. Now, when I'm talking slavery, there wasn't an eight to five job. They didn't have Saturdays and Sundays. They didn't have a Sabbath. It wasn't like that. It was a seven day a week job working 16 to 18 hour days. And the Israelites as slaves were forced to build cities. Not buildings, not houses, not being maids around the house or anything like that. The Israelites built cities for the pharaohs of Egypt. That's some hardcore slavery. Now, from what I understand, Egypt is hot. It's not like, you know, Orlando or anything, or San Diego. It's hot, okay? It's miserable. 430 years they went through that. The humiliation, the torture, the abuse. You didn't do what you were told. They cut your head off and didn't even think twice about it. But finally, after 430 years of crying out, God said, you know what? It's time to free my people. I'm ready to let them go. I'm going to stop right here because I know there's some of y'all in here. Think about how much they cried out to God. Like, if you really loved us, why would you let us be slaved? If you really loved us, if you were as compassionate and merciful, God, as you say, then why are we slaves? Why are we suffering so much? Are we your chosen people? Aren't we the chosen generation? If you love us so much... Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you answering? Why are you allowing this? And I know there's some people in here that have been praying for some things, been begging for some things, been crying out for some things, and he hasn't answered. So you believe three, one of three things right now. He's not real, he doesn't care, or he's just not listening. Can you imagine how, how they felt after 430 years of crying out and no answer? I don't want you to be discouraged tonight if you've been praying for something and he hasn't answered. The answer is not always no Matter of fact, most of the time, it's probably yes. The answer is just yes, but not right now. Okay, see, we, we see what's going on right now. That's it. God sees our past, our present, and future. And so God answers prayers in his timing, not ours. God answers prayers the way he knows is best for us. See, we think we know what's best. That's why we pray a certain way. God knows what we really need, though, not just what we want. So I don't want you to be discouraged if you prayed a million times for the same thing. If you've got a mom that's sick, if you're sick yourself, if you're struggling with the same trial, temptation, uh, circumstance, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you've been crying out to God for, begging and praying for, keep going. Don't be discouraged. The answer is usually not no. The answer is usually not right now. It's not what's best. But for, for over four centuries, they cried out to God and he didn't answer them. But when he did finally rescue the Israelites through numerous miracles, the plan was to bring them directly into a place called Canaan. If you guys have heard the term promised land, the promised land for the Israelites was a place called Canaan. Okay, so you guys see Egypt right there. Okay, the Israelites were around Goshen, the northeast side of Egypt. Okay, and where it says Jerusalem, or actually the huge thing that says Canaan, that was about 90 miles. It's not exact, but from what I understand, uh, the things I've read, it's about 90 miles, okay, from, from slavery to freedom. That was the promised land. That was a place of freedom. It was 90 miles. But by most accounts, there were two and a half million people. It wasn't like he just picked a couple families and was like, all right, we're going to go. Y'all ready? No, it was two and a half million people, give or take. 
And it wasn't just a bunch of young people. Like if we all decided to go somewhere tonight, we could probably make it 50 miles in a day. Like if we were really trucking it, like just really just walking and just drinking water the whole time, we could probably make it 50 miles in a day, maybe 40. But when you have two and a half million people, when you have small children, when you have elderly, when you have animals, and I'm not talking about dogs and cats, I mean like goats and sheep and camels. Ten miles was a good day. Two and a half million people, children, elderly, animals, ten miles a day. Anybody take math? Okay, cool. Ninety miles total, ten miles a day. How long should that take? Even got the fingers right there. Even counted them. I love it. God's plan was not for the Israelites to just struggle. His plan was to free them and immediately bring them into freedom, immediately bring them into a place of healing. No more suffering, no more pain, no more struggle, no more spiritual blindness, no more uncertainty. The plan was to bring them straight from Egypt to Canaan. It was a week and a half trip. See that place called Sinai? That is not on the way from northeast Egypt to Canaan, is it? It's not even close. It's like if you were trying to go to San Antonio and you went to Galveston on the way, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Sinai was the wilderness. That was the desert. That's where the Israelites spent 40 years. So if the plan was to bring them straight from slavery, from building cities as slaves, to free, to worship God, to live for God, the weather was nice, the land was nice. It was the perfect place to live and serve God. God had set this place aside for them called Canaan, a beautiful, beautiful place. If God wanted them to be free immediately, why did they walk around in the desert in the wilderness for four decades instead of going to Canaan? Out of the two and a half million people, there were 600,000 men about. If God wanted his people free, why did two out of 600,000 men even make it to the promised land? The rest of them died. God wants his people to be free. So why would 599,998 people die? The men, the leaders of the families, the priests of the homes. Because they weren't ready for the freedom that God was offering them. Yes, they had been taken out of Egypt. But they still had some Egypt in them. Does everybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? If you guys have a a testimony of when God saved you and you were living a really, really rough life. And God saved you. You still brought some some bad habits with you. You didn't just 100%, 180-degree change. Your eternity changed 180 degrees. But when you live a life for so long, you have some tendencies. You have some wilderness in you. You've got a little bit of Egypt left over. Well, the Israelites were so messed up that God found... They were so messed up, it was better that they didn't even make it. That God just started with a new generation of men and brought them into the promised land. For the Israelites, Egypt was a real place of bondage, like for real slavery. Whips and beatings and abuse, the whole thing. For us, Egypt is a symbol. Okay, so when you guys hear me talk about Egypt tonight, it's a symbol. Egypt is that place where we weren't saved. It's a place of spiritual bondage, a place of captivity. It's a place of slavery to sin and to self. It's the very place that God meets us and saves us. It's the very place when we are set free and redeemed as the blood of Jesus Christ washes us clean. Yeah, it's an ugly place. It's a place of slavery. But thank God we serve a God. 
that meets us where we're at. We don't have to shower. We don't have to clean up. He meets us right where we are in the middle of the mess. I'd still be in a mess if he didn't do that. Like the whole meet me halfway thing, that wouldn't have worked. I need you to come and pull me out of the pit of hell that I'm living in. The pit of hell that I call my life on earth. And rescue me. That's, those are my terms and conditions. And you know what? He did. Like the Israelites, God's plan at our moment of salvation is to bring us right into freedom. He don't want us walking around in wilderness. He don't want us struggling with the same old stuff over and over and over and over again. Having to come to the altar every single service for the same sin. You make a commitment on Wednesday night and by Thursday it's gone. He don't want us doing that. Oh, y'all too? Yeah, I, I got it. Um, he wants us to be free immediately when he saves us. But like the Israelites, we still have some Egypt in us. We still have some tendency. We still have some habits that need to be broken. There's still areas of our lives that need to be worked on before we can walk in the fulfillment of God's promises. I'm pretty certain not everybody in here goes to church and was raised in church. So you might not know that there are promises attached to your life. Well, Pastor Preston, what are those promises? Well, there's too many to name. We'd be here for months. But I hope you understand, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done today and how dirty you feel like you've come into this place, mistakes you've made, what your past looks like, kind of sin you're struggling with. God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny and a calling on every single person's life in this room. I don't care if you're a teenager or an adult. You need to hear that. You need to understand that, believe it, receive it, and walk in it. Life takes a whole new shape. It has a whole new meaning when you realize that the one that created you, the one that created earth, I imagine God up there spinning earth like a basketball on his finger. I know he probably doesn't really do that. But the one that sustains the entire universe without any help, has a plan for you, Josue, specifically for you. A plan, purpose, and death. <laughs> a plan, purpose, and destiny for every single person in here. That's the promise. I got a plan for you. God wants to bring us into Canaan tonight. It's just a representation and a symbol of our maximized potential. So when you hear me here say Canaan, yes, it was an actual place for the Israelites. It was. It's present day Israel. Okay. Uh, but for us, Canaan is a spiritual place where we're walking exactly as God intended. When we're living the life that he's called us to, we're not perfect, but we're forgiven. We're not perfect, but we're forgiven. Canaan is a place where we're just doing what God intended us to do. And he wants to bring us to that place. There's some stuff in every person's life in here that's preventing you from being on that path. You might have a foot on the path, but you're not completely on it. And we're going to get rid of that stuff. And lives are going to be changed tonight. God wants us to take hold of all that he has prepared for us. But everyone in here, we have some stuff, don't we? We've got some junk that needs to be dealt with first. For the Israelites, thousands of years ago, and for us today, the same five sins apply. The same five things that kept those poor people in the wilderness, in the desert, when they should have been in Canaan, are still affecting believers today. They're still destroying lives today. It's still Satan's tactic and his device and assignment to just throw us off the path. He doesn't have to knock us off the path. He just has to get one foot off, and he can knock us off a little bit. 
we'll just take care of the rest. Satan just does a little bit, a little bitty part, and we always give him so much credit. Sorry, y'all. I yell a lot if you didn't notice, and so I need water. All five of these things probably don't apply to you. They might, and that's okay. Don't be ashamed. Because you're in the place where that's going to get taken away anyway, so it doesn't even matter. We're all going to walk out of here without, without wilderness. In the, it, so it doesn't matter what you've come in here with. God's going to take care of it, okay? So all five of the things we're going to talk about, all five of these sins, these categories, probably don't apply to you, but I can guarantee that at least a couple of them do. And again, that's okay. Tonight, I'm going to have y'all do two things. Number one, this is an Assemblies of God church. If you've never been here, we're a little bit crazier than most. We do altar calls here, okay? So at the end of the night, when I'm done preaching in 30 minutes or so, between 30 minutes and two hours, we are going to have y'all, we're going to have prayer partners down here on the front row. And if you're struggling with something tonight that I talk about or something I haven't mentioned, you need to get your behind down here and get set free and have one of our anointed prayer partners lay hands on you and pray that the Spirit of God would come upon you and give you the strength to overcome what you're struggling with. Where's Weston? Right there. Weston read me a quote today. It was awesome. said, Lord, I do not pray that you make my life easier. I pray that you give me the strength to handle what you've given me. It's so easy for us to ask for an easier life, isn't it? It's so easy. That's not going to happen. Christianity is not easy. In fact, it's probably harder than, a, than an ungodly life because we have way different standards that we have to live by. But tonight, not only are you going to come to the altar and get prayed for, but you're going to write down those things. You each have pens under your seats. At some point, our ushers are going to pass out a piece of paper. You're going to write down everything you've been struggling with. That sin that keeps coming back and biting you in the behind on Thursday mornings after the Wednesday night commitment. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's probably something just between you and God. Maybe one other person knows. Those things that you're struggling with, you're going to write them down. The plan was to get a big old cross in here and nail them to the cross. I forgot to get the cross, so that's not going to happen. Um, so we're either going, we're probably just going to put them in a box and light them on fire. Okay, it's the same thing. They're destroyed in the name of Jesus. They no longer have control. They no longer have power, no longer have dominion in your life. But we're going to get rid of those things tonight. We're going to say goodbye to the problem areas forever so we can begin to live in the freedom that Jesus paid for 2,000 years ago by hanging on a cross. Amen? 1 Corinthians, we're going to go out of Corinthians um, chapter 10, starting in verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now this is written by Paul about the Israelites. It was like, well, why would God allow the Israelites to go through that? So they could be our example. Has anybody ever had to learn the, like from their own mistakes? Like made a really big mistake? Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? Doesn't, isn't it so much better when you see someone else make a mistake you're about to make and you see what happens to them? You're like, I'm good on that. No, thank you. It hurts a lot less when you learn from someone else's mistakes. And that's why this story is recounted. So we can learn from their mistakes. I was saying, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, when I say lust, I know one thing came to everybody's mind. When we hear the word lust, we immediately think of sexual sins. But lust covers a variety and a broad spectrum of other sins and behaviors. Lust, this is so important that you understand the true definition of lust. Lust is simply the desire 
We have to satisfy ourselves at the expense of God and others. I know you're reading it, but I'm going to say it again. Lust is the desire to satisfy ourselves at the expense of God and others. That's like the definition. It doesn't mention anything about sexual sins, but that's just what we've been taught. The word lust is strictly a sexual thing. It is a preoccupation and an obsession with getting what we want, regardless of who we have to run over or what we have to do to get it. Everybody's got stuff in our lives that we wish we had. And we will lie, cheat, and steal to get it. It doesn't matter. Those, that's lusting after something. Lust is what drives us to jealousy. Anybody experience jealousy? Either had jealousy or had jealousy thrown at them? It's an ugly thing. It ruins families. It ruins churches. It actually, it ruins denominations. Like, this didn't start off with denomination. We were the Christian church. Jealousy is an ugly thing, and it all starts with lust. Lust is what makes us crave the things that other people have, instead of being grateful for what God has given us. When we aren't content, when we're not happy with what we have, we, in essence, are telling Jesus, what you did on the cross, being humiliated and murdered and tortured and mocked and made fun of, that wasn't enough. I'm not grateful for that. I want more. I need more from you, Jesus. I need more in my life. Honestly, if our hearts were in the right place, the knowledge of him hanging on the cross to pay for our mistakes, our mess ups, our sin would be enough. We would require and demand nothing else. But we're selfish. We crave more and more and more. That's what America's addicted to. It might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it might be sex, it could be a variety, money, a variety of things. What America's addicted to is more. What do poor people want more of? Money. What do rich people want more of? Money. It doesn't matter how much you have, you want more. What we have is rarely good enough, isn't it? So I want you to search your hearts. This is between you and God, so don't lie, because he knows and you know. So that's silly. Just It's a waste of time just to lie to yourselves and lie to God. But what are you lusting after? Ladies, do you wish you looked like somebody else? You wish you had a different figure? Wish you, you, know, you had a different face or prettier face um, or better hair or whatever? I mean, I, what are you lusting after? I know there's ladies in here that look in the mirror and just can't stand themselves. You don't understand that you're a masterpiece, do you? That you are perfect, that you're beautiful in God's eyes, that if God had a house, he'd probably have your picture up above the fireplace on the mantle. He's so proud of you. He made you the way that you are. Don't want to be somebody else. Don't try and look like somebody else. Be content with who he made you to be and believe that you're beautiful. A lot of us wish we had different parents. I did. I couldn't stand my parents. They were alcoholics. They were violent and abusive and neglectful. I mean, I didn't like them. But I was so focused on hating them that I didn't understand that I had an entire support system around me. I had aunts. I had uncles. I had friends. I had family. I wasn't grateful for them because I was too busy wishing I had different parents. And you may not have a whole houseful or a whole group of people supporting you. But if you just have one or two people, that works. And when we talked about... Wednesday, if you got four people to carry that mattress, y'all, you're good. Some of y'all probably wish you had a different house. Your friends have a bigger house. 
their parents drive better cars and you get embarrassed when you drive. Man, I remember in middle school, I wasn't going to tell this, but this is so humiliating. It's awesome. So I went to a private school in middle school and I was probably the poorest kid. Like my grandparents paid my tuition. And um, so I went to a private school and there's nice cars that pulled up. Tuition $7,000 a year for seventh grade, y'all. Okay, ridiculous. And my mom, oh God, I'm still embarrassed. Uh, she drove a 1982 Volvo, a gold one. Y'all, I hated my life. Every morning, every afternoon at 3, 3 p.m., oh, I was like, gosh, mom, just pick me up around the corner. And she'd get so mad. I was too busy worrying about wanting something else, wanting something greater that I didn't realize, like, man, I've, I got somebody here to pick me up. What a blessing. There are some of you in here that hate yourself so much, hate who you've become, hate that you struggle with things so much that you wish you were someone else entirely. If you don't like you either wish you weren't alive or you wish God had made you to be someone completely different. This is all lust, guys. It just boils down to lust, not being happy and satisfied with what God has given us, not being thankful. Whatever it is, I think if we're honest with ourselves I think all of us have some stuff within us that we don't like, some things that we even don't appreciate and wish we could change. And I'm not talking about like some character things like, man, I wish I was better at that. That's okay. That's good. That's a desire to become great for God. I'm talking about the things you can't change. Instead of focusing on what we don't have, instead of focusing on the negative, how about we turn our attention to what we do have? No matter how hard your life is, no matter what you're going through, and I'm saying no matter what you're going through, what's going on at home, at the very least, you have a God who loves you so much that he was willing to come down as a man, be humiliated, tortured, made fun of and mocked, and then ultimately murdered. It was a sacrifice because he did it himself, but... In the eyes of the Roman soldiers, they murdered him. He, was, he loves you enough to do that. He could have just hung up on the throne and just chilled and just looked down on us and be like, man, they messed up. But instead, he sent his son. He loved, he loved us so much, he came down and died for us. That, my friend, should always be enough. We should never require or demand anything else from God. That should be the first thing we say in the morning. God, thank you for that. Now let's start the day. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7, and do not become idolaters as some of them were. When we think of idolatry and idols, most of us, I think, at least I do, I think about like a wooden statue or a metal statue and a bunch of crazies bowing down to it and worshiping. I also, you know, I usually think about the ridiculous two and a half million Israelites circled around a cow made of gold that they got their leader Aaron to form for them. They had the living God on their side and they decided because they were too impatient to wait for his promises to be fulfilled they were too impatient to wait for Moses to come down from the mountain that they decided to build a cow made out of gold and worship it that's when we think of idolatry we think of ridiculous stuff like that but in our lives an idol is simply anything we put ahead of God anything that we put ahead of him as with lust if we are really honest with ourselves we all have idols I have two idols, not all the time. I'm not just like proud of them or anything. One of them is exercise. I spend a lot of time at the gym. That's just it makes me feel good. I like it. And so I, I, I that, you know, that's something that I, I really have to keep in check. It's something that I've I've put ahead of the Lord at times. And I constantly have to be on guard. 
The other one is pretty, pretty sad. The other idol that I have sometimes is fantasy football. I know that's crazy. Um, I would say that most of the time, okay, I'm, I mean, I come to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. I'm here a lot. I read the word a ton. I pray a lot. But there are times, I'll be honest, for the most part, I do put God first in my life because I know what he's done for me. But there are times in my life, there are Sunday afternoons where God kind of gets put on the back burner because I feel like I got some more important things to do, like manage an imaginary team on TV. Okay? That is an idol, okay? Amen, amen, amen. Y'all need to lay hands on uh, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson in the back, if you know. <laughs> so what are your idols? Are you like me? Do you, do you exercise too much because you don't like who you are, so you're trying to change the way you look? I do it because it feels good, but some people exercise for hours and hours and hours a day because they hate who they are. Maybe you're on the opposite end. Instead of going to God for comfort, instead of going to God with your problems and issues, you eat. Do you use food as an idol? Has that replaced God in your life? How much time do you spend on TV? How much time do you spend on your iPod? How much time do you spend on social media? It could even be a relationship. How much time do you spend with your boyfriend or girlfriend? I don't mean just being with them. I mean talking on the phone, thinking about them. Do you spend more time involved in that relationship than your relationship with God? Our families can be an idol. We can literally put our families above God in our lives. Like I said, it's just between you and God tonight. Search your hearts. Be honest with yourselves. What are you spending too much time doing? What do you spend more time doing than spending with God? And I know that would stay, y'all, what about school? Do we not have to go? Don't say that. No, no, no. School's different. You, you, you can idolize school for a few more years, and that's fine. You can spend eight hours a day there. That's cool. You guys need to be in school. I'm not saying that. You guys need to study. But when you have free time, what do you spend your free time doing? Ask yourselves. Write it down tonight. If it's something you're being convicted on, write it down and let it go. Come get prayed for tonight. Confess those things. Ask for forgiveness. The next one we're going to move on to, this is the one that gets me fired up more than anything because it's the thing that is destroying the youth and the men in this nation. I'm not saying it doesn't mess women up every now and then, but it is Satan's favorite tactic to mess up a man and it is destroying the youth in America. I'm sure you guys know where I'm headed with this one. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. In one day, they got so off track with sexual immorality that 23,000 people died in one day. You guys want to know what God thinks about sexual immorality? 23,000? That, that says enough right there for me. But the problem is we buy into that lie. Well, I didn't have sex. So I'm good, right? I'm pure. I'm, I'm good, right? That's the whole thing. As long as I'm a virgin, then I'm pure, then I'm clean. I haven't committed sexual idolatry. And I know y'all are uncomfortable right now, and that's okay. Y'all need to be uncomfortable, okay? That's okay. I'm, I'm talking about it in a pink shirt, okay? <laughs> it's salmon, okay? It's not pink. It's totally pink, isn't it? <laughs> I know as people, we like to decide which sins are worse than others, don't we? Do we not see sins? Like, my wife always likens sin 
like to the Houston skyline. That's how we like every building is a different size. There's no two buildings the same size. And that's the same way we view sin in our lives. We view rape and murder way up here. And then like that little white lie that we tell is like the little taco stand on the corner next to the skyscraper. You know what I'm saying? It's not that big a deal. And in the middle, you have our sexual sins. You have pornography. You have homosexuality. You have all the things that are a big deal, but not that big a deal. At least I'm not killing anyone. At least I'm not having sex. I love that, that analogy that my wife told me that one time. That's exactly how we view sin as the skyscrapers in Houston. Everyone's different. Everyone's a different size. Some are worse than others. But God's view is from above. Anybody going up an airplane 37,000 feet, when you look down, it doesn't matter. They, they all look the same. They look different shapes and sizes. You know that. But you can't tell how tall a building is from above. If you're 37,000 feet in the air looking down, they all look the same height. They look far away. Well, picture it that way. God's up in heaven looking down. He can look down at our sin, but it all looks the same to him. In God's view, sin is sin is sin, yes. But he does distinguish sexual sin from others because of how it affects us. In his eyes, it's the exact same. But every sin that we commit is against God or others. But sexual sins, that's against our body. And I don't know if you know, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So when you commit a sexual sin, you are subjecting Jesus' spirit to whatever you're watching, whatever you're doing, whatever you're involved in. It's the exact same in God's eyes, but he distinguishes it because of the effect it has on us. I'm just going to come out and say it. I know many of you in here are struggling with pornography right now. I know there's a lot of y'all in here that are involved in that. And I bet a lot of you feel really bad about it. A lot of you feel really shamed about it, but you just can't stop. Because you know what? On the Internet, you don't even have to go looking for it. You could be playing whatever game on Facebook and boom, pops up. Would you like to see more? Absolutely. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not trying to be funny. But when you're in that moment of weakness and you're not expecting something like that, and Satan throws an image like that in your head... You guys don't even have to go looking for pornography. It shows up on the computer. And once you have that image in your head, it is almost impossible to get out. But there's one person that can help you with that. And you're going to meet him tonight if you don't know him. I know many of you in here are involved sexually in a relationship. Some of you guys were probably even sexually active this afternoon before you came here. I know that. But even if this area of your life is just limited to impure thoughts, okay, we like to say, oh, well, I didn't have sex. So it's not. Jesus took it a step further. He said, if you even look at a woman the wrong way, if you even take a second look in the way that you shouldn't, you are guilty of committing adultery. So I'm not just talking about sexual activity. I'm not just talking about pornography. If you even have impure thoughts. If you are involved in any way, shape, or form in sexual sins, they are destroying you. And I know you think this is not a big deal. I know you don't believe me, but trust me. I know from experience. Do you know how many lives I've seen destroyed by sexual sins? I've had friends that were in drug recovery, and they were doing great. And it started with a little pornography. It started with a, a sexual relationship. It started there, and then months later, you fast forward, and it just snowballed and snowballed. And the shame 
of that addiction to pornography turned into drugs. And now those people are six feet in the ground of a heroin overdose. And it all started with a little video, a little movie on Facebook, a little picture on Facebook, a little something, an impure thought. Now, there are people that I love dearly that I spent time at the altars with that are dead. I know what I'm talking about. I know y'all think it's funny. Some of y'all it's not. It's destroying your soul and your spirit and you don't even know it. Just take my word for it. If that's something you're struggling with tonight, y'all need to come down here at prayer time and just let it go. Write it on that piece of paper, burn it on the fire and say goodbye forever. I'm not threatening you. I'm promising you. You need to let those things go tonight. Verse nine. This is a sin that not a lot of people know about. Most, you know, most people never even heard of this sin, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them did, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them did. Tempting Christ is, like I said, something we do very often and we don't even realize it. It's simply when we demand God to do something that goes totally against his nature. Let me explain what I'm talking about. If you are planning on marrying somebody and you know what God's asking you to do abstain don't not be sexually active before your wedding and you go ahead and do it anyway because you can't control yourself you knowingly and willingly disobey what god's asking you to do that one little thing and then you get married and say but god bless my marriage i'm not going to listen to your advice i'm not going to do what you say but bless my marriage i got a lot of friends that like to make their own rules up with tithing. You guys, got everything we have and possess is God's anyway. So when he asks us to give 10%, that's not a big deal. He should ask for 90. But he only asks for 10. Well, I got friends that make up their own rules about tithing because they have an addiction to money. They're kind of greedy. And so they don't tithe properly or they skip a week or they decide which percentage God has told them they should tithe. I actually had a friend say, well, well, God told me I didn't have to tithe what everybody else does. I said, well, that's good. I hope it was more than 10%. He's like, no, no, we just have to tithe on what's left over after we pay all of our bills. I said, okay, well, um, good luck with that. And then he wondered for seven months why he didn't have a job, why his life was falling apart, why financially he could never get ahead. Another way to tempt Christ is to not tithe and then ask God to bless you financially or to cheat on your taxes. I got a, uh, I hate to, I want to say girlfriend. That sounds bad because I have a wife, but a friend that's a girl. Well, she does hair. She doesn't claim everything. She makes cash a lot of times. And so she just doesn't claim that as income. But she gets upset when she doesn't get blessed financially. She cheats on her taxes, but then asks God to bless her financially. I know those things probably don't apply to you all right now. They're examples. This is the big one that does apply, and I want you to listen very carefully. Holding unforgiveness towards somebody. I don't care what they did. I literally, it doesn't matter what they did, how bad it was. Holding unforgiveness to somebody and then asking God to forgive you. I think it's Colossians 3.13 says, we forgive because he first forgave us. Bible's very clear. If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. So you can't go around holding bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and then expect God to forgive you. That's very simple. That is tempting Christ. And I'm going to stop right here and say, I know that some of you in here are holding unforgiveness to some people. I know there's some of you in here that had something really, really bad happen to you when you were a small child, a young lady. Somebody may have done something to you. Someone may have taken your innocence. I'm not talking about giving your innocence away. I mean, somebody may have taken something from you 
as a young person. And you know what the thought is? Forget them. I will not forgive them because if I forgive them, that means it was okay. That means they get away with it. No, when you forgive someone, it does not make it okay. It does not mean they got away with it. It simply means you refuse to let them control your life. Because if you think about it, you're like, I'm not going to forgive them. Like you're trying to, like you're hurting them. They don't know any better. They don't know that you're holding unforgiveness. They're not hurt. I tell our kids all the time, when you hold unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison. But expecting the other person to die. It will eat you alive. It will, it will build a root of bitterness that will destroy you and cause you to be angry and not trust anybody. That's a big one. I, I'm careful when I say I don't care what happened to you as a kid. You know what I mean when I say that. It doesn't matter. Let it go. It does not mean God didn't see. It doesn't mean God's not going to take care of it later. It doesn't mean it was okay. It doesn't mean that they got away with it. It means that you no longer are allowing them to control your life. And it may not be something that severe. You might just be mad because somebody said something to you at school today, that your best friend hurt your feelings, that someone broke your heart. It might be something like that. Whatever unforgiveness you're holding on to, let that go. You guys got too much to offer to be held up in that kind of bondage. That's silliness. Let it go. Let God take care of that stuff. Let him fight your battles. <clears throat> what the Israelites struggled with was faith. They didn't believe God, but then they got upset when he didn't do what they didn't even believe in in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't trust God. They didn't believe him. But when he didn't follow through, it's like, well, what happened? He's like, well, you didn't believe I could do it in the first place. Why would why would I bless you if you don't believe I can bless you? Guys, faith is what activates God's movement in our lives. Lives. It's why the Bible said is it impossible to please God without faith. If you're struggling with faith tonight, it's time to ask for God, ask God for a double dose. If you're having a hard time believing God and his word, then tonight is going to be a changing day in your life. Tonight, God is going to reveal himself in a way that he never has. But you got to let him in. He doesn't force himself upon us. You're going to have to come down here. And let someone pray for you and pray to receive the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And like I said, mess you up so you can mess other people up. God is here, I promise you. He wants to meet you right where you are and increase your faith. And sin number five, this is something we all, I don't care who you are, if you don't write this on that piece of paper, you are a liar. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Israelites' spiritual gift was complaining. That was their favorite thing to do. It didn't matter what God did. It didn't matter what miracle he performed. That was their spiritual gift is complaining, murmuring, backbiting, slandering, and just generally bad-mouthing God, Moses, and Aaron, and Miriam. Do we got any complainers in here? Anybody that's just got that woe-is-me attitude? I like it. Honesty. I told you, if you're not going to be honest, then leave. We got any whiners in here? My wife says nobody likes a whiner. We have a two-year-old, and when he whines, she says no one likes a whiner. So he whines some more and gets his feelings hurt. But this doesn't just... Complaining in this context simply means using your mouth to, to speak against God or others. Have we, have, do we have any gossipers in here? Anybody that go around, goes around with a... You guys can be honest. We, you know, it's, it's so easy when you get a piece of information about somebody... It's so easy to go tell someone like, mm -hmm, I knew it. I told you this happened. I told you it was going to happen. It is so easy to take hurtful information about people and spread it. 
complaining, whining, gossiping, backbiting, slamming, mur- slandering, murmuring. It all ties into the first sin of lust. It's rooted in selfishness and unthankfulness. Instead of thanking God for what we have, we complain that someone else got blessed. Why don't we get over ourselves? Why don't we celebrate when something good happens to someone? When we see a friend get blessed instead of whining that we didn't get blessed. Quit complaining that it's not fair. Do you want to know what fair is? I don't want fair. Fair is spending eternity away from God. He is a holy God and we are unholy people. We have no business being around God. But because he said, you know what? Y'all are so jacked up. I'm going to send my son and so and to die and pay the price for your sin so that when I look down from heaven, I don't see your sin. I see my perfect son. That is not fair. An innocent man. God in the flesh coming down and being made fun of for three years of ministry and then tortured and humiliated and whipped, beaten to an inch of his life and then hung on a cross to die. That's not fair. I don't want what's fair. So in your life, if you're complaining about what's fair, you really don't want what's fair, because if we got what was fair, it would be eternity separated from the presence of God. I don't have time to get into my testimony tonight. But I spent a long time in the throngs of addiction. After the things I've said, the things I've done, the ways that I've hurt people, I'm not proud of it. But after the things I've done, what's fair is that I spend my entire life in prison, I die, and then get escorted right into hell. That's what's fair in my life. If you want to talk about what's fair, what adds up, my sin, my mistakes, equals that. That's what I should have gotten. I know most of y'all probably don't have that testimony. It doesn't matter. We're all unholy people who get to serve a holy God and be in his presence because he sent his son. And if you're gossiping about people behind their backs, going around school or your youth group with that hurtful information, stop it. Y'all know there's teenagers committing suicide almost daily. They call it cyberbullying. It's nothing more than gossip. Stop it. People are killing themselves because of the shame they're facing every day at school, because of the bullying, because of the, the criticism, because of the, the hatred that they're facing. There are kids your age committing suicide, hanging themselves from their bed by a belt. Y'all didn't notice I get really, really graphic sometimes, but I'm trying to paint a picture in your head. Stop it. And I don't mean don't participate. If you hear it, you stop it. If you hear it and you don't stop it, you're just as guilty and just as responsible. You guys, stand up for your friends. Stand up for weaker people. God is a defender of the weak. He said perfect religion is that that takes care of widows and orphans. Those are weak people until they meet God. So that was fun. Um... Babe, can we get the paper? Okay, the papers are getting out. Okay. Um, I'm going to have my prayer partners come down here. Um, Like I said, I I don't think all five things applied to anybody. Maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe they did. But I do know that at least a couple of them did. And you can sit in your chair and be shy and act like you got it all together like we like to do sometimes in church because we're in church so we can't admit we're wrong and we have mistakes and stuff but i have a dozen or so very committed very dedicated 
people of God who have come to serve tonight, who have come to lay hands on you because they love you and care for you. I don't care if you haven't met them or not. They love you. That's why they're here on Friday night. If you've been lusting after stuff, if you've been unsatisfied, not happy with what God has given you, not thankful, not grateful, wishing you were someone else, when you look in the mirror, you hate who you are. You don't like the person you've become. You need to come down to the altar and let some people pray for you and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and do a miraculous, miraculous work in your life tonight. If you've been putting some other stuff in your life ahead of God, I don't care what it is. If it's family, friends, TV, social media, music, it doesn't matter what it is. If there's some things that you feel you need to let go of and you need to replace with God, come up here. Confess that. Most of these people don't know. You don't know most of these people. For for our kids, you do, and that's okay. Nobody's going to spread this information about you. If you are involved in pornography, impure thoughts, sexual activity, I don't care what line of sexual immorality it is. Come get set free tonight so that your life doesn't get destroyed, please. If you've been holding unforgiveness to that person that hurts you so bad you can't even stand to think about it. If you're being eaten alive by bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, tonight it's over. Tonight, you're going to lay that down. You're going to confess it before God and one other person. And he's going to come into your life and he's just going to clean house. Anybody need a fresh start tonight? Anybody need to be renewed tonight? I'll be the first one to say I need a refreshing. Do you understand how much I love walking through those front doors? What? Oh, okay. I love walking through our front doors because the very first thing that you see is the words fresh start, big and blue. Every single day I walk through those doors and I get, those are the first two words I see in this building. I know everyone in here needs a fresh start in one way or another. If you've been complaining, whining, if you've been gossiping and hurting people with your words and you need to just come confess that and let it go, Guys, we're going to play some music. Megan's going to do a a video. But I want you guys to write those things on that piece of paper and we're going to light them on fire. And we're going to say goodbye to them forever and we're going to ask God and the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and do a mighty, mighty work. Whatever it is, I don't care what it is. Maybe I haven't mentioned it. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus in the first place. Maybe you don't know that he loves you. If if there's something you've heard tonight that that you feel something in your spirit that that just doesn't feel right and you need to come up here, come do it. Make a decision for Christ. He's waiting for you. And in an instant, your eternity is sealed. You make that decision and you die tonight, you will spend eternity in paradise with Jesus. If you're not sure, come ask questions. That's what they're here for. So we play the video now and then do the altar. Okay. At the moment of my conception, I was incepted with a seed of deception. An evil, misconcepted perception that set sin in motion. So, with no notion of external devotion, I was sucked in by the seduction of internal instruction, consumed by my own corruption. 
from which came an eruption of guilt that I combated with pride. As more and more each day I died like a corpse committing suicide. So there I was, face down in refuge, refusing rescue, a lost cause dying. Cause my flaws kept lying like those laws weren't mine. And I was fine, futilely focused on following some line I designed in my mind. But it was the blind leaving the blind and I was fool enough to follow. At least my lungs felt the shallow and my throat couldn't swallow. My whole life seemed hollow, just walls built around lies, a disguise for the nothingness inside. It was my mask for the stages, and while I'm scripting my scripture of worthless pages, I'm wanting my wages. But see, I'd wage the war, couldn't win, desiring the spoils, but spoiled with sin and plundered. guys Bible says faith gets increased faith comes by hearing the word you have heard the word preached tonight but you can't just sit back and listen you can't just hear the word you have to put action to that faith you need to step forward and confess some things whenever you're ready if you if, if you if you're embarrassed or scared to come up by yourself grab your best friend and drag him or her up here If you're sitting by your best friend and you know that they need to be up here, grab them and drag them. Drag them to the place of freedom. 
If you need healing spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, if you need to forgive or be forgiven, if you struggle with any of the sins I mentioned, right now is your opportunity. Grab a friend and come up here. I'm telling you, step out in faith. And one day you're going to look back on January 30th, 2015 and say that was one of the greatest nights of my life. That's the night I got my freedom back. That's the night Jesus met me at the altar. It doesn't matter what I've talked about. Y'all aren't going to remember 80, 90 percent of what I've said. But if you come to the altar, you will never forget the words that God speaks to you.